right. So uh, welcome to BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. Uh, today, my guest is stand-up comedian Steve Hughes. He's uh, joining me from uh, Australia over Skype. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on. No worries, man. Good to meet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, how did you first become involved in stand-up comedy and uh, what was its initial appeal to you? Well, I played in bands for years and years and years in the 80s and the 90s. And then I, uh, I don't know, I was always funny. I think all comedians that sometimes just realize that they're, they're, they're funny, they make their mates laugh and so forth. And, and then in hindsight, really, after I started comedy, I realized we were all quite into it. Even in the 80s, we'd always watch, you know, uh, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin and, and uh, listen to Bill Cosby records. I can even remember one day listening to, Exodus bonded by blood and then straight after listening to uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> so as I was just in bands and bands and bands and they became kind of a – you put a lot of work in and it's Australia, so, you know, it was really isolated and you'd work hard and nothing really happened. The irony being my first band, Slaughterlord, was probably the one that got the most. is probably still the best known, really, even though it only did one demo. But – uh and then I just decided, right, you know, bands kept falling apart. So I just went, well, maybe I can try and do something artistic that uh, doesn't require me having to uh, have other band members. So uh, would you say there's any similarities, like, uh, between, like, the playing metal and performing stand-up? Or? Well, I mean... Comedy and music have a uh, an alliance in timing, obviously, and flow, but really, I'm starting to uh, miss music in a way. Comedy is very uh, cerebral and uh, transient compared to music, which sort of, I think, is a bit more emotional and stays with people. And But uh, I remember the first comedy gig I did I came on stage thinking, geez, there's not much release in that compared to drumming. And uh I kept going and uh yeah, now I'm just in another strange transitional space. What could you say like about uh your early uh, experiences uh performing stand up and uh what were like some of what was like the experiences like your early gigs? Well, I always used to say the first gig you ever do, it's so frightening. It's not like music where you have to, uh, you know, you rehearse and you learn to play your instrument and then you've got a bunch of guys who are your mates and then you put, a, you put a band together and you play on stage. Comedy, you just have to start. You don't know whether you're any good. You don't know what to do. There's no one else with you. There's no music to hide behind. But I always had used to say this thing about the... Uh, the, 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 the spirits of comedy somehow let your first show be all right. Just because you've had the guts to do it, and then about your second or third one, they uh, they give you complete death, so that you uh, realise that you've got work to do, and what it feels like to stand in front of a crowd where no one laughs, and how you're going to get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and how would you say uh, your life as a stand-up comedian now compares to when you first started? Uh, in what ways do you feel you've improved? Well, obviously, I left here about 15 years ago. I went to the UK because I knew that there was just art in Australia. It was just sort of, you know, it just doesn't rate. It's a very commercial, conservative country and it's just not enough work and not enough people and the country's too big and it's very indoctrinated into a mindset. It's waking up to a degree like the rest of the planet of stuff but so I went to the UK and then I just getting get getting more work and then of course you know with that kind of practice and then I just get to go overseas and do Europe and you know so you get invited to different festivals you know in Canada and you get to go to the Middle East and then you do like Asia and so you just get better and you get better at knowing how to stand in front of different people from different countries and and just like anything you just you just practice and you've got intention it just sort of it gets better so no, it just evolves. It just keeps evolving, you know. And uh, how would you describe your style of comedy? Well, I used to say it's like it's like social commentary with killer jokes, and uh, sort of people think I'm funny, but they know I'm not joking. 
<laughs> in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> and what, uh, what, what can you say about like uh, comedy's role as far as like getting people to uh, like question the world around them or like comedy that kind of like is a comment like uh, it reflects the times and stuff like that not so much a social commentator per se perhaps on a sort of more uh, surreal level as I say but then some comedy is just basic comedy about stuff and everyday life which is usually what the mainstream mainstream as I call them Yes, you know, I used to think going from comedy world from music world, I was now entering the mainstream. But then I realised no, there's there's a, there's a super mainstream. There's a there's the mainstream mainstream. They don't go anywhere. They're not told. And so, uh, you know, and of course, you know, I, I find that you know, lots of comedy. Anyone that comes from their heart about their life, I find you know, I, I put it in the same category. You know, it's you know, you got your Lenny Bruce's and your Bill Hicks and your George Carlin's and your Doug Stanhope's and sort of social commentary, but. I also think uh, Richard Pryor was social commentary in a way, even Billy Connolly, because it's honest, you know, not so much social commentary, but self-commentary, which is... And I, and I like a comedian who sort of, after you've, he's been off stage, you kind of know a bit about who the person is, to say, or at least you have an idea. But some comedians just tell jokes, and you really don't know who the guy is by the time his show's finished. But I think it's relevant in a way of getting ideas out there to people, because... Uh, well, as Oscar Wilde said, if you're going to tell people the truth, you uh, you better make it funny, otherwise they'll kill you. So uh, it's, it kind of works on that on that level, I think. And uh, so, would you say like uh, comedy now is declining, or what? What's your view of like uh, the comedy scene today? Well, I've been uh, depending on what country you're in. I, I suppose it became it's it's. Like in Great Britain, for example, it certainly hit a hit a high where it became very popular to the mainstream. So now I think you're getting more of the industry involved in getting guys. It's like any art form. It's very frustrating. You've been doing it 15, 20 years and you know how good you are at it and then these other guys just get more exposure because they're safer and easier to market. So I think we're in that environment at the moment. There's a kind of we can market comedians, you know, so, uh, but you can't particularly market them, you know, so much to the super mainstream if you're me or Doug Stanhope or – and the irony being, of course, is that's kind of the audience you really want if you've got something to say. Otherwise, you're preaching converted a lot of the time, so it's a catch-22 situation. But in this previous transition I'm going through, which is far more personal at the moment due to our circumstances – I'm starting to realize that you are you, you really got to do a lot of work on yourself I sort of uh, stopped doing much a lot of inner work on myself really over the years and got involved in the world and it and I'm starting to realize we can't just yell at the system anymore you can't just scream at a system because we're all upset about it because we're really we're just a lot of times we're projecting our own unresolved stuff onto a system which ironically we can't change anyway so we can really only change ourselves and get out of that system really by self-investigation so that's kind of where I'm at the moment knowing that my yeah there's a big transformation going on in my life and uh, which is questioning even what I've been doing sort of some of the hypocrisies of what I've been doing as much as I've been out there ranting and thinking and carrying on and people say I'm just good what I'm saying there was a part of me that was just projecting my own suppressed view of the world and I, I, I kind of my intuition was telling me you, know, you can't just keep yelling at the world you can't keep yelling at the world you've got to stop and take stock of your, your internalized stuff and uh, I was kind of just pushing it I kept pushing it and going I'll finish at the end of this year I'll finish at the end of this year and do some rest and do some introspection and fortunately I didn't quite make it I was going to finish at the end of 12-13 but uh, I just wore myself out from constant touring and uh, my body decided to tell it to make me fucking stop my spirit it said fuck it we gave you any clues, it gave me intuitions, it gave me omens, and I fucking ignored them, and to my detriment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what have uh, been some of your favorite experiences performing stand-up, and what uh, have been some of like your favorite places to perform? Well, you know, if people are enjoying it and laughing, then that's a favorite place at the time, so... 
I've done, you know, I've done so many countries now. It's quite um, unfathomable why I didn't take a rest, you know. So I've, you know, I've done gigs in Croatia and Estonia and Slovenia and Finland and Norway and Sweden and all across Britain and the Middle East and parts of America, uh, Canada. I've never done the United States. Um, Spain and Switzerland and... But if they get it, they get it. You know, I always figured if you can make people laugh, then you're a comedian, not just particularly your own type of comedian. I mean, that's where some comedy, if you're just going to discuss local things that happen in your culture or your city or your environment, then, of course, it may be harder for you to make people laugh in another country. But I think if you're a comedy that's sort of either about world affairs or stuff that's just simply human, which all people sort of resonate with, then basically that makes you a... That's the kind of comedian you'd be, I'd want to be anyway as an artist where you can – like music. Music music is the language which goes beyond language. So you can, you, can, you can make music which crosses any kind of language barrier or cultural border. So I think comedy should, should be able to do the same if you are genuinely, genuinely funny and uh, resonating with something that's deeply human. But uh, – so favourite places really it's just sort of you know if, if they're enjoying it then that's a favourite place you get kind of it's a good, good good when they do it's, it was always it was always a breakthrough to make the Dutch laugh eventually that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you had a that, that was part of your routine the uh, the Dutch right the yeah, <laughs> yeah well, they were, were the first ones I did in mainland Europe and that's what I wasn't as experienced the comedian and they didn't have as much comedy in their country back in the sort of early 2000s and yeah so that was a that was a that was a trial by fire <laughs> <laughs> and um so what what can you say about like the process for writing comedy and trying out your material in clubs like for the first time well i used to notice that when guys are sort of starting out some guys are just pretty much funny straight away. There's always there's always those people who like anything. Like, you know, I was in a band with a guy who learned guitar in about eight months. You know, there's always you get these people that just sort of take to things. Um, personally, some of the ideas that I had about making comedy, I learned from lyricists, from songwriters who wrote lyrics like Sting and stuff, which is kind of a cut back on as many words as you can, really, to make the point. I notice a lot of young guys when they want to describe something, they try to make it very colourful and sort of really heighten to the imagination of the audience. So they'll try and create this graphic, colourful scenario to make the joke have more impact. When really they, it it, it it does the complete opposite because they, they they start to use words they wouldn't really speak in normal day life. They start to paint the picture for the audience, which is not your job. Your job is to have as minimal words as possible so the audience gets the point, then paints the picture for themselves, and then laughs their guts out. So I think that's one approach I got was like get a lot of your words out of the way and use clarity with minimalist words as as, as much much as possible so that way the audience can paint their own picture and uh and you don't you don't rant on you know what i mean if you want to make a big point you don't want to rant <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to give it clarity you know you want to give it clarity and succinctness really and a killer punchline of course and uh so uh do you get surprised by uh what jokes go over well and which ones don't or well, sometimes you write a joke which you think is really good and then no one ever laughs at it. That's quite disappointing. You think, uh, strange, I treat my jokes sometimes like I, uh, like Tori Amos used to treat her songs like children. And, uh, and I, I've had some jokes, some jokes which still work, which are some of the first jokes I ever wrote. And then I remember this joke I had, but it's kind of got a, it worked for so many years and then it kind of got tired. It was almost like the joke got tired, like we need a rest. And so... I stopped using it for a few years, and then it said, oh, "Okay, I've, I'm rested now." I should have taken that as a as a as a heat actually, and taken a rest myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, so what have been some places you haven't performed yet that you hope to perform in the future? Well, of course, I haven't done the United States. Uh, it's so big; it's, it'd be good to get invited there. Although, currently, I. I, I it's, the United States is turning into quite a frightening place to even want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, you know, it's it's. I'm well versed, you know. I do sometimes wonder what are they going to do in the United States, you know? Are they going to are they going to collapse it? <laughs> Which seems to be the you know, and I don't mean from an outside source. I mean from an inside. And uh, it would be good to go to the States. I haven't done anywhere in South America. I haven't done I've done a lot of Europe, Middle East, in the sense of Dubai and Bahrain and Doha and stuff, not Middle Middle East, not proper Middle East. But uh, those places are more like Western petrol stations. But, uh, you know, I've done a, uh, yeah, uh, Hong Kong and Thailand and Singapore and Malaysia and... So where I go in the future? At the moment, I can't even think about performing comedy in the future yet. I'm actually thinking about going to the desert. <laughs> I think I've got a lot of work to do before I can do comedy. I've been doing some comedy actually here in Australia the last few weeks just at a thing called the Freedom Summit, which is a uh, more of dialogue. That I just The guys who run it sort of found me through a friend of mine and uh, – because my comedy is kind of social commentary in a, in a way. They got me on this thing, but really it's with guys who are talking about alternative law and sustainable living and uh, nutrition and metaphysics. And uh, so it's quite interesting being in that kind of environment. I think I've immersed myself in the entertainment world for so long. It kind of got the better of me and, uh, yeah, smashed me against the wall through my own lack of introspection I guess so now I guess it's a time of uh, as I said it gave me omens my friend who's a shaman and astrologer who I've met only recently by great synchronicity and I told him I had a lot of omens that I had to go inward and slow down and as he says, he goes, you're a five-planet Scorpio, and you ignored omens. He goes, he goes, he goes are, you, are, you, are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> <laughs> it would seem so, yes. <laughs> and what is your opinion about uh, political correctness in comedy? I know you've brought this up a bit in your stand-up and some of your other interviews. Well, being offended is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, at, at the moment... We could look at being offended on many different levels. The way I think they brought political correctness down, I really do, as I used to say, is that it is like a sort of form of intellectual colonialism or sort of psychological fascism, I think, where they're bringing, bringing this apparent protectionism in, into your subjective world space. So now with the environment, of the, the irony being the world is getting so out of control Control. They're starting more wars. There's more pollution. There's more this. There's more chaos. There's more upheaval. Even from a metaphysical sense, the world is finally getting sick of us. I think on that level. And yet, the irony being that in the West, at least, we're creating these overprotectionized environments. Sort of everything, safety and health and protection, and yet, yeah. But it's really just oppression, really. To I mean, telling you what you can be offended by is taking along along the role of. Or you're, you're it's someone's master over your inner domain. Who, who could who could possibly deem a, a, a structure of what's offensive to you or me as, as different individuals coming from different backgrounds or different cultures or families or morals or, or, cult or religious beliefs? And then it's a great trick. As a friend, well, a girl I was speaking to a few weeks ago, she said, well, she signed thought political correctness was a good thing. And I said, in what way? And she goes, because it gives a kind of protectionism to, say, a minority, where, where say, there's a minority in a, in a culture, be them immigrants or something, and that political correctness then gives, you know, the big bad white man or the big bad oppressor a kind of structural framework to not be as offensive to say a minority so they get a kind of protectionism but this is a complete load of bullshit <laughs> one you one you're you, one you don't know what's offending these people to begin with where, where, where does anybody get that i don't understand who, who worked this out secondly it's another form of psyops isn't it where it's really saying that the the, the minority has no power so they need to be protected. And and the idea of protecting a minority seems like a noble idea, but it's actually the cessation of power from the minority and the majority in one single go. 
you take away the majority's power of simply being themselves and maybe perhaps just getting on with, with, with this minority through their own evolution, and you take away the power from the minority by saying that they need protection. I think it's the same thing when the West likes to put up posters about, you know, we've got to be so kind and go and feed Africa, as if which is another form of subconscious conditioning towards that apparently Africans are so hopeless they can't do it themselves. And, of course, you've put them in an environment where you've taken a lot of their resources and oppressed their lands and oppressed their people, and then you go, now we've got to protect them. Which is, which, <laughs> you, know, so, you know, it's like... As if, you know, I mean, what did they do for food before you turned up? They were here for thousands of years. All humans know how to feed themselves. <laughs> and the irony being that they did it without destroying the earth. So, And this is not a bash against white man either, as if he's the big bad baddie of the entire planet either, because that's another form of... You know, there's a bigger pressure against white men as if he's the only guy that's ever committed chaos. Although he certainly sits on the throne a lot of the times. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly sits on the, likes to sit on the throne and spout his, his mouth off a lot. But, you know, I, we've got to be careful there that we don't fall into a, a sort of form of. And I've been victim to it myself growing up in Australia, which is very oppressive to Aboriginals. You know, I've, you've got to be careful. You start to, you've got to juggle your own because you start to realize you get a sense of deep subconscious guilt and self-loathing about the actions of others, which may be relevant to take on board in the sense of self-healing, because I think all, all, all oppressors, all colonizers have a form of subconscious guilt because they know they're not, they know what they did. <laughs> they know what they did. In fact, I was listening to this African guy the other day. He put it very wonderfully. He said, he goes, he was in America, actually, and he, he's seen gated communities and signs that say no trespassing and keep off this and stay away from that. And, and a friend of his asked, what do you think of all this this kind of stuff? And he said, well, I'll tell you. He goes, he goes whenever anyone oppresses another culture and takes what is inherently not theirs, steals from other people, takes away their their their, their dignity and their and their cultures – on a subconscious level, he, he, as, as he suffers guilt, and then that subconscious guilt forms into the psyche of the entire culture. And therefore, because that guilt is, is unexpressed, the psyche begins to manifest the very things so that that kind of thing doesn't happen to it. Because so, so next minute after you've oppressed somebody, you start putting up signs, go keep away, right? Because you don't want what you just did happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, and a lot of this will be subconscious, unconscious stuff. But you know, that's that's the powerhouse that manifests a lot of sort of physical reality, isn't it? So, which is what I used to invest my time in investigating, and then somehow I've got caught up in the world and my own ego, and now I've been. Now I'm back here having to go internal again, which is the only uh, really the only way to go, really, because we can't well we can't stop this system, can we? We can't stop that. We 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 can have as many. I mean, who knows? I don't. I don't but but I, but I kind of get there is a lot of inner work. I think that's got to happen. So you're talking, about like, you're talking about like a change yourself so you can change the world kind of thing. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that it'd be, I mean, it seems quite, you don't get caught up in the new age because the new age is a bit of a trick, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of, a lot of the beginnings into sort of uh, self-introspection from the West at least come into sort of new age, through new age doors or so forth because they're there and they're a sort of alternative to church. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of their stuff is also just think positively. Yeah. Everything's happening for a reason, and you, you and you just you can't just think positively because the darkness exists, and indigenous people will tell you this, and the and the Asians will tell you this with their yin and yang symbol, which shows you that which shows you the dark and the light, and the dark has to be integrated; it can't just be thought away yeah. because that's 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 a disassociation from a whole. 
So that's that's more fragmentation. I mean, in fact, the new age, with this just think positively, could be almost seen as another form of divide and conquer. You know, it's more <laughs> separation. You know, we live in separation in the West. The separation of ourselves and the Earth has been a major part of the, the, the destruction. And and I think the separ- even a friend of mine uh, who I've just recently met said a great thing the other day. She goes, even when you you, you do. Even when you go to see Western medicine is becoming obsolete for me. It's just becoming obsolete. You know, it's, it's if you want to fix a bone, then maybe it's all right. But the whole thing in Western medicine is really comes from war, how to fix holes in people and chaos and stuff. I mean, uh, they even say it, don't you? You've got to battle cancer and crusade against heart disease, and it's just, even the words are still still mixed with war. Is a lot of Eastern medicines. Uh, or indigenous medicine is holistic because uh, my friends thought up the other day she goes she goes we always have specialist and a heart specialist and a kidney specialist and a liver specialist and a blood specialist but if they're just specialists then they're, they're, you've separated yourself from the whole of the body again haven't you so the, the kidney guy doesn't know what's going on with the heart guy and the, and the liver guy and yet the holistic medicine goes well everything's affecting everything so to be an expert on just one part of us is is another form of, of, of divine conquest. It's another form of separate kidney might be out. Maybe you have something to do with another part of your body. And, and the kidney might out is probably, oh, okay, well, I just was saying there's a lot of separation, I think, from our, from ourselves and, and our bodies and our minds and our spirits and the planet itself. And uh, we're not going to get over this by just waking up every morning and doing affirmations going, I feel great, I feel great, I feel great. It's not getting shaman soon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you aren't aware of, like, what's wrong in the world and what's going on, you're just looking away from it, like, how does that help? That doesn't help yeah. anything, you know? No, 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 no. It's the, you know... And I guess where I fell down is I began to fall into judgment, really. Uh, I think a lot of us, we... we well, I don't know. I, I just got well. I realised that I just got more and more invested into the negativity of the world, and actually, and and sort of it. That's the problem. If you if you learn, you, you need balance. And my, my intuition was whispering to me, "I need balance. I need balance." And because if you start to invest all your time into the problems of the world, then it's such a it's and it's in such a state that 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 overriding negativity can begin to sort of you know affect your psyche and your body it's like, it's, like, it's like Alan Jones that guy in the States is that his name the guy that screams and carries on oh Alex Jones uh, Alex Jones Alex yeah. Jones I mean see, see, see that guy's just he makes out like he's telling everything that's going that you need to watch out for but he's continually based in anger yeah, it's and, then, and, then he, and then he mixes he mixes a lot of like uh, lies too and like he, he just kind of throws things out there too <laughs> And then he's like, uh, he's like, you can save. This is how you can. Uh, he goes, if you want to fight the globalists, you got to buy my book, buy my this, <laughs> buy my that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I fell for it for a bit when I kind of just the beginning of it, you know, just kind of shit. Jesus Christ, I never. Something in me resonated about this guy's a bit over the top. I used to give him the uh, leeway that perhaps just because he was from Texas, that's what made him like. <laughs> <laughs> but now I started to come to the understanding that no, I think he's probably more just. My friend calls it fear porn. <laughs> that's. But it's a. Uh... Yeah, he starts to become more savvy about you know whether this this person seems to be sort of giving out good information but you know even his his, his site is called prison planet <laughs> which ultimately which ultimately doesn't give you a uh doesn't give you well it's it's almost like you could you, you see that's what i realized you start looking at this stuff like this all the time and that that stuff starts to infect your subconscious you know what i mean until next minute you really don't ponder solutions and uh and of course, that's the point of it, I guess, because you know, when you give that, when you, when you dole out that much negative information, for the for the want of a better word, that that much sort of cataclysmic information, you almost make people impotent because they see themselves as powerless. It's it's it. So you could you could as much as he may be telling the truth about big stuff that's going on in the sense of its its its, its evilness. 
you 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 can you can then it's it's it can be another divide and conquer strategy because you you make people impotent because they feel powerless under the weight of such disaster. And you've uh, you've talked about like uh, I think that was kind of the point you were making about like the war on terror and like some of your things like making people just afraid. So we got to fight this war on terror. Like you. Well, I mean. Some of these things you don't even need to have to go into conspiracy theory world or, or alternative history or alternative media or any kind of world. I don't think to if if you have really half a brain and common sense and you're not fully indoctrinated somehow and basing your life around total conformity or uh, who just could possibly believe that. Anything like this, like 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 a country like the United States that spends more money on defense than every country on earth could possibly feel threatened. <laughs> a country that's got like a fucking fifteen hundred military bases on all planets of the or countries on the planet, full spectrum dominance could then possibly stand up and go, we're scared of them. It doesn't even make sense logistically or rationally. It's it's like the, the guy who knows who's a who's a ten black belt in the playground the two computer geeks, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's saying, you know, I've got to get some more weapons because I'm scared of these dudes. Like, who's coming to get America? You know. <laughs> I mean, yes, and then the, the other thing that's uh, like even more ridiculous is when they say like they're a threat to uh, our freedoms or whatever. It's like they're going to come in and <laughs> it's like really <laughs> the, the the government is well, the government people is first have to people first have to. Uh, ask themselves how they define the word freedom. See, they just throw that word out. Oh, they're a threat to your freedom. Okay, well, what is freedom? No one ever asked themselves that, right? <laughs> so, so what is freedom? Now, you think you're free because you, okay, you can, well, what? Most people think because they can say something and they get dragged off by the secret police and thrown into a cell. Okay, on certain, certain parts of, 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 political mandates throughout different countries. Perhaps there is different cultures that have different forms of freedom. I mean, really, if, if most people were free, they wouldn't get up and go to work. They wouldn't pay tax. They wouldn't have to spend all their life paying off a house to a banking system. They <laughs> probably feel better about themselves. Uh, they probably wouldn't be uh, encumbered by by celebrity culture and, and, and uh, just the shallowness. Which I have. I'm no elite, you know. I'm no Zen master. You know, I've learned this the hard way by sort of right now. You know, I was supposed to be making transformations in my inner world many years ago. I was smarter <laughs> in my mid twenties. I was on the right path, and then somehow I drifted into the world. And uh, so this is not a judgment call, but really, when they go, they come. I mean, really, is anybody thinking? That there's people in Iran or somewhere going, you know what? I'm, I want to get the Americans because they're free. Right? <laughs> 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 Who's thinking that? <laughs> yeah. It makes much more sense that, like, they're just pissed that America's been bombing them all these oh. years or, like, they, they, they're, they're putting sanctions on them or whatever. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, who's, who's getting up every day and even thinking about, I've got to. And yeah. se secondly, Say they, oh, they're jealous of your freedoms. They want to stop your freedoms. Okay. Well, how are they going to do this? Yeah. I mean, like they're all going to get together and make a <laughs> boat and come over and sneak in. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it just doesn't – the fact that you can trick a lot of people with this stuff is – it's that's a that's a part of me that's always just gone, you know. Jesus Christ! I mean, I used to do another joke, and then they call them extremists. I'm like, they haven't even got any. They're not even allowed to fight back. <laughs> you've, you've got you've got 500 pound depleted uranium shells and and, and F-16s and fucking jets and battleships, and and they're extreme. <laughs> <laughs> 
You you want to fire nuclear missiles from space, and these people are extreme. <laughs> Sorry, it's it, the choice of words. It's just it gives the it gives away the folly of it immediately. I don't know how anyone would fall for it. Like, and even if they go on there, and then they apparently they're showing them chopping someone's head off, which you don't even know is real or not. Like, yeah, look, here's this guy cutting someone's head off. Well, is that any worse than dropping Exocet missiles? Excuse me? I don't don't understand why, apparently, if it's done out of a machine, that it's somehow civilized. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's the same thing as, like, you were saying earlier, like, trying to, like, be the heroes and the good guys and solve the problem that they created, like, because we we were arming these groups, like, in Syria and everything, like, and we created them pretty much uh, with, when we went on Iraq and everything. <laughs> well, it's, so. it's, a, it's a big mixture. I mean, who, who even knows whether or not that there's certain factions of governments within the Middle East who are in collusion with the West as well to oppress their own people for a goal that's actually got nothing? Because if there is the idea that there's powers that be that want a singular world government, then oppressing your own people would, it would be a part of that plan too if you're of the elite and didn't give a fuck. So, so I mean, the rabbit holes are big, and I don't claim to know the intricate answers of the complexities of global geopolitics by any stretch of the imagination, because, you know, I'm just a comedian. I don't have access to the <laughs> to their secret databases. I don't, you know, I'm not sitting here claiming I have any idea, but you really do have to think, that, you know, what you're being, you don't even know if, if, and then the, the worst thing is you could be, you may even be in collusion. Just say there was a Middle Eastern power that looks as though it's getting subjugated by the United States and Great Britain or something, but is actually in collusion to actually subjugate it. I mean, it's even like in Brave, I used to think about this in that film Braveheart that, that, that Mel Gibson made. And then there's those parts where you realize that as much as the Scottish go, look what the English are doing to us, look what the English are doing to us, there's Scottish elite that are involved with the English. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're involved with the English going, yeah, do whatever you want. You, you get your, we'll give you land and castles and stuff. And they go, yeah, great. <laughs> Come in and slaughter them. You know? <laughs> so it's a, it's a very tricky situation, everything, you know, because then you've got to be – I mean, America's a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's such a shame that it likes to run ramshack over the earth at this point in time because it's – I always respected it. It was a very exciting country. It's got a lot of good stuff in it, exciting stuff, and and a wise indigenous people and a a stunning terrain. And I just go, why can't it all just be working well? I want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) The people are friendly. The fucking countryside's amazing. You've You've got all forms of different healers and entertainment and... Oh my God! It's got everything you could, you know, ask for to explore in your life, and you go, Oh God! <laughs> it's got these assholes running amok. <laughs> so, uh, do you think there's ever uh, like comedians that go the other extreme, and like maybe they just because uh, you were talking about like political correctness, maybe there's comedians that go the other extreme and just like say things for the sake of being offensive, just like oh, uh, well, to be edgy. Uh, they're the ones. Yes, I believe that there is. There's guys. See, 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 from that perspective, if you're simply wanting to be, as you say, edgy to the idea of just being blatantly disgusting, then you know you've you've, you've missed the point. Really, you're 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 like a bratty child, really, aren't you? Just <laughs> you can offend someone. I mean, really, what is the What's the great point of wanting to offend anyone to begin with? There's no great, there's no great personality landmark in yourself to be great. I, I can be offensive, you know. It's I've never seen the point. I mean, if you just want to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, and yeah, as I said, you're really just being a bit of a child. I don't. That doesn't that doesn't break down the idea of of the the sort of oppression of something like political correctness. In fact, it just boosts it. 
it just really boosts yeah. the idea that perhaps you need it because you've got these bratty kids, you know what I mean? I mean, comedy is very dangerous. <clears throat> Not only, I mean, to yourself. I mean, a lot of comedians will fight about how, you know, come on, don't get offended. It's only words. It's only words. But, of course, words are very powerful. And the irony being is that not only you, you may be being offensive to yourself, I mean offensive to, to someone in the audience, which you have no control of anyway to begin with. I've never set out to offend anyone in an audience uh, because, because that would be arrogant to begin with, to think that you know who these people are. I don't know who, who these people are in an audience. I don't know their past or their their, their, their traumas or their, their joys or their, their morals or their – I don't, I don't treat them like that. I don't do. I treat them as though they're just here seeing me, and if they choose to be offended by something, and sometimes I've even had people point out to me where I've been offensive, where it's actually been quite relevant. I mean, if you, if, as an artist, if you can't take criticism and realise, you know what, I really could have done that better. You're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's not about pandering to an audience. I think a lot of these comedians that simply want to be. Uh, they're trying to make the point that you don't pander to an audience, you know, try and – which, again, if you're trying to uh, – you know, I've met a lot of comedians who go, I don't swear and I don't do this because I don't want to be offensive to the audience. I find that offensive because you don't know the audience. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? So you're already – you're already being arrogant by taking a board that you know what you could take out of your act so you don't offend these people. Well, you don't even know these people. So, in fact, I think they'll disrespect you more for doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, and that's like the, the how how good can their comedy be if they're just trying so hard to please exactly. you know the audience and exactly. yeah, it's like it's like an artist or any musician or any any artist. You, you can't you can't just paint a picture to just hope that all these people like it, can you? You want to, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 I find that really, really strange. I mean, I understand, you know, if you can, if you want to, you know, if you go on TV and they say don't swear, well, you just don't swear. You understand that because it's, because, you know, it's, it's a big audience and the, the, the TV station just doesn't want, to, we don't want to deal with this. Someone's going to write in. Someone will write in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, 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 it's it's, it's a very interesting, this kind of stuff with comedians. But as I, said, I was saying before, I went off the point, but, yeah, words, I started to realize that not only are words perhaps powerful in the sense of the way they can affect the audience, the words are powerful is the way they affect your own biochemistry. I've started to realize that. The more I was getting involved in ranting at the world but not dealing with my own issues, and, of course, these things are starting to coalesce Within my, because I used to think, you know, people come and see me once, but I have to do this 150 times a year. So it's getting embedded in me. I've got to have a break. And then I realized you do, because words and thoughts and feelings just manifest in the body. So, because so, everything's holistic, everything's connected. So, of course, it even comes back to what they say in religion don't go judging people, don't go throwing these barbed words out there. Why? Because, like, like Aboriginals, <coughs> I was thinking this the other day. They always say, you know, you, you, it all comes back. <coughs> uh, Indians call it karma, and that might not come back in this lifetime, but everything come back because it's cyclical. And I thought it was very interesting that Aboriginals and the boomerang, they know what you put out there fucking comes back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why I started to realize comedy, is, comedy is, is, is dangerous. It's the most dangerous of art forms, and not just in the sense of dangerous to the status quo. If you're not careful, it's fucking dangerous to you. It's <laughs> 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 much better when I was playing music. <laughs> music didn't bring me to this state of fucking total exhaustion and fucking... Yeah, yeah, you know. Just 2013, at the end of that, I was going to finish at the end of that, but I, I just hit the wall before it had finished. And this whole year has been fucking just impossible for me, just in a sense of, I won't even go into it, but it's been fucking full on. Not in a good way, but in a good way of fucking waking me up. And as I said, <laughs> as I said, and the irony being, I had a show in Edinburgh years ago called Wake Up. I really should have kept that poster and looked at it myself every fucking day. <laughs> Telling everybody else to wake up. And as I said, I was getting these omens. 
trust these omens. We've got it. We, I really do. I'm, I'm thinking now, you know, we do have to go introspective. We do have to go in. We have to go in. Someone else pointed out a great thing the other day. If you don't, because, because our psychic powers and with secular science, uh, things like this are getting cut off. It's the Biden rule strategy. Here's your body. It's all in parts, all this, and it starts to dislocate the mind and starts to take you away from what you think is mumbo-jumbo by a bunch of indigenous people. But no, I always knew that somehow one day we'd be going back to these people going, fuck me, they were right. I knew they were right. Because <laughs> <laughs> they tell you, don't wreck the earth. And you know what? It's interesting. And you can't just wreck the earth because if you wreck the earth, you're wrecking your own body because you're connected to the earth. And I don't just mean connected because you stand on it. I mean, you're of the earth. So as I brought my body to a state of total collapse through exhaustion and bad diet and doing drugs and not taking rests and not looking at the internal worlds that I needed to look at, I have fucking my body, my universe, which is a universe, has fucking collapsed. He fucking collapsed and said, right, you've got to go and fucking heal it. Now it's got to be healed. So when we do that to the earth, it will eventually just, well, it's, it's, it's like if you're going to have a breakdown as an individual, then... Your, your 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 spiritual holistic connection to the earth. If you break the earth down enough, then you'll have a collective breakdown. You'll have a, and any kind of breakdown is a fucking wake up call. And eventually, the earth will probably go. Well, these fuckers. I mean, I've been giving them omens. <laughs> they're not waking up. So I'll just fucking split the United States in half, and I'll make Asia. You fall into the sea, and I'll make fifty thousand fucking foot tidal waves, and I'll see if these fucking idiots will wake up. <laughs> because you know, as much as we've got all these weapons and so forth, it, is, it ain't going to do shit if the Earth decides to just reorganize itself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Who else on earth could pick up, you know, a hundred thousand cars in one big body of water and dump it somewhere else? <laughs> 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 the earth can. So, so yeah. And, just, uh, so I was thinking about my next show being called Nervous Breakthrough, actually. <laughs> uh, what can you say about like uh, the 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 business, like uh, the comedy business, and what it's like? Uh, for different comedians trying to make it and like uh, I guess the community within it or lack thereof well I've never been one of these guys who is particularly involved in getting to know who I'm supposed to know um, I think it's a couple of reasons for that one I come from the underground world where I figure that if you're good that you're good there was a bit of foolishness in that philosophy when I moved into a more mainstream paradigm because really there is a sense of who do you know do you know the right players do you know the right people that can get you stuff which on a level is not that unintelligent to be informed about um, if I go deeper introspectively I think maybe there's a path that of me that I haven't confronted in myself and maybe I just don't I think there's a level of self-sabotage within my unexamined psyche. So part of that, I I start to examine even my own philosophies and are they coming from a place of groundedness and intelligence or are they actually just being manifested to the subconscious through my own unexamined uh, weaknesses? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Depending on what you want to do in a stand-up comedy career, if you wish to be involved in comedy, say you become a TV presenter or something, then I'm sure it's more viable to simply go, right, let's find out who I need to do or what I, who I need to meet and and then then get involved in 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 the uh, corporate side of it itself. I mean, I've never been an artist on that level. I do know there's a part of my own, just my own sort of uh, uh, feeling in, in, uh, about art, which I've always liked. I've always liked art that's just, just real. I think that stems from heavy metal because, you know, heavy metal just also, it's just, it's, especially when thrash metal started, that was, you know, even that even broke away from normal metal and it was just ugly and it was brutal and it was like, we don't fucking care who likes this or not. And so I do. Right. Uh, and then, and then as I got older, I realized that there's other artists like that as well, you know, even like, you know, if you got. <clears throat> 
all good ones usually you know Pink Floyd and Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush and you know they're artists that make what they want to make aren't they you know I used to, I used to say there's no difference between Kate Bush and Slayer they both make what they want to make they, they go this is what we want to do and when we're doing it and uh, so I started to realize that there's no separation in artists like that you know Tori Amos people like that it's the same kind of stuff and so you know I mean you're obviously a bit of a metal fan yourself you understand uh, it's, it's, you're not part of the mainstream mainstream as I said, you know there is the there is the that's 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 a super mainstream. They're the, they're the ones that that's why if you do want to become you don't you don't want to get built up simply by the press and by the by the uh, industry and go straight into mainstream mainstream world because you really then don't have fans. You have people who are seeing you because they you're the next they're, big thing, or it's cool to. Yeah, I've been, told, I've been yeah. told to see you, and they they think it's cool. And the only being is the mainstream. Mainstream don't even really know what's cool. That's the, <laughs> that's, that's why. That's why once you vanish, they vanish. They vanish with you because you know they never thought you were that cool because they don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the world I'd like to speak to. They're, they're the, I'd prefer to speak to really because you know what's the what's the point of me speaking to a bunch of people that go right on Steve right on I need to yeah. I need to I, I'd rather speak to a bunch of people that go geez I've never thought about it like that maybe yeah because because you know if the mainstream mainstream is the majority then we need them on board <laughs> yeah can't just call them a bunch of fucking losers anymore we need them on board. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, and, uh so like what's what's uh, the highest level of uh success you hope to have with uh your comedy would you say uh you're you're happy with where you are now or is there like or would you want to is there like another place you'd like to get to with well, it well first of all because of what's happened to me in this last year and my entire worldview has crumbled and my physical health crumbled and my relationship crumbled and my certain ideas about myself crumbled into a fucking abyss. At the moment, because I was... Uh, well, I have to do inner work. So the idea of getting to another level... Because I won't get to another level <coughs> through that structure anyway. That, that corporate structure for me to get to another level can only be used as a tool once I'm back and more grounded in someone that's actually healthier, more relevant, and doesn't really care. So I simply have to, uh, if I'm going to fucking preach, which I never wanted to do, preach, I wouldn't say I want to preach, but if I'm ever going to say anything, then, you know, I've got to walk the talk more. I'll gladly admit that now. I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing enough inner work. I was actually entrenched in the fucking matrix as well. <laughs> For all my apparent non-conformities, my, uh, my foibles have been exposed. <laughs> and here I am exposing them again to the general public. That's the strange thing about comedians. I don't know whether I should keep some of this secret or not. I need to go and see some shamans and get some get some uh, wise strategies upon our personal enlightenment and uh, spiritual healing. <laughs> I think we should. I'm very interested to see these shamans. It's really. I'm really thinking that's that's a path to get into. That's a real path to get into. It's because you know. Western medicine cures symptoms, and uh, I don't want to. I just don't want to cure. And I've been self, self anesthetizing myself for fucking decades now. <laughs> so it's kind. Of, so it's kind of like a uh, a spiritual inner thing, inner. Uh, well, whatever I had you're going to, no, but just, not like an. I could have made it on a conscious level, but I didn't. I was. Uh, I, I waited till I fucking fell through the fucking floor, and. Uh, which will certainly, you know, if you don't use that as a wake-up call, then you're a fucking idiot. So it's, it's it gives you this, yeah, 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 my, 
my internal world crumbled like like the staircases in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf's in the mines of Moria. <laughs> <laughs> that big demon, fire demon, coming up from the bowels of hell, chasing me. <laughs> and then he turns and goes, "Run! Your swords are no use here." Yeah, fuck it, I said not. <laughs> That's what the world's going to be like once the Earth decides to fuck around. Yeah, your nuclear weapons are no good here. Run! <laughs> so, so uh, and I've, yeah, I've been blessed uh, in Australia, even though it's a kind of it's a it's, it's a global laboratory for a new world order corporate police state and the destruction of the middle class <laughs> for an isolated uh, community for the rich. But apart from that, it's got a massive desert, which I've got a feeling that I should perhaps. I've always wondered why was I born here? I don't want to be born here. I used to want to get. I wanted to be American when I was a kid, and then I wanted to be in Europe, and then I wanted to be. Why was I fucking here? There's no one here. There's nothing to do. And now I'm back here, the biggest epiphany of my life, going, well, maybe some past life reason. Maybe I. So I'm starting to think, maybe I should. I have to go into the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Because I just think it would be fucking good for some reason. Anyone want to come? I mean, if anyone's listening and they feel like going on a spiritual quest, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll put the word out there. If there's anyone that's interested in getting on a plane and coming to Australia in the next few months, and uh, we'll get a jeep and we'll, we'll get enough knowledge and supplies so we don't starve as dumb white men, but we'll also... <laughs> But we'll also just simply go out there with the idea of intention and then the universe will fall into place for everything and everyone we need to meet. So if anyone's interested, <laughs> get, you, you, can, you can contact me through Sean and uh, <laughs> let me know. And, uh, I'll gladly come. <laughs> so uh, any final thoughts or things you'd like to say? Uh, maybe like some of any advice for any other aspiring comedians or whatever? Well, my advice is simple for comedy, like any art. Do it. Just start. Just do it. If you think you've got to – if you think that's what you want to do. In fact, anyone for – not even comedy or art, anyone that wants to do anything out there, do it. It's, it's our job now in the universe to break away from the matrix and simply have your dreams manifest, but not through reading New Age and going to see Anthony Robbins, but having them manifest through, <laughs> through which I've done. Don't get me wrong. But, but uh, we've, got, we've got to do it. We've got to stop. We've got to – there's simple ways to start to bring down systems, you know, like McDonald's and stuff. Just stop. So it's, easy, it's easy to get rid of corporate stuff on one level. You just stop. Just don't go. Like a flower needs water. They need cash. And if there's no one in there, then there's no one in there. And then it's just gone. And it's the, the a way to have a revolution because we can't have a revolution because we'll all have to get together and have a meeting and then we won't get on. So, and then, you know, we'll be viewed as a terrorist group to begin with and we can't have a revolution of violent revolution because we're not allowed to even have glow sticks anymore without being called terrorists. So all we can do is start bringing down corporate structures and here's a positive thing. McDonald's and all this stuff's not good for you. Not good for you. So all you're doing is actually not taking something that's not good for you and don't heed my word as the health guru of the universe because I was snorting coke and smoking weed and eating out of service stations in Great Britain. So I'm not preaching. I'm just telling you. Burgers aren't good for you. So if you just stop the McDonald's and no one goes, then it just collapses. And then the ruling elite will understand or the the, the corporate elite will understand that there's a there's a synchronized worldview. We, we, we're starting to have an ideology among the mass where we all get on. It's so not they'll come looking for the leaders of our group but we, we haven't got them because we haven't we haven't got together. We're just all at home doing nothing against the law. So it's perfect. I'll <laughs> <laughs> go, where's the leader? We go, we don't know. Mate. We haven't even met. So <laughs> I'm just making a salad sandwich from uh, wheat-free, gluten-free, yeast-free bread. So <laughs> and, uh, see you later. Yeah, I want to be an artist. It's our, it's our role. It's the, it's the next spiritual evolution into art. 
I have to be artists. Quit our jobs. I know it seems frightening. I wouldn't know how to do it either because we need money. It's a shame we need money. They go, we need more money. Now, you know what we need? We need an earth where we don't need money. That's what we need. We don't need more money because they won't let us have it for some reason. So we need an earth where we don't need it. That would be heaps Just you just get up and go for a swim. That's what, <laughs> that's what we all really want to do, isn't it? Get up. Yeah. Ah, well, I might get for a swim. That's like one guy in charge of the Venus Project. I forget his name. He's just talking about like a world without money. Yeah, right. I forget his yeah. name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's what I thought. Uh-huh. See, see, I've been coming up with all these good ideas myself and yet, you know, battering myself into the ground. So now is the time of self-evolution. We all need self-evolution as well. When your time is, that's not, to, for, not, not for me to say, but uh, my time's here, folks. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, there's an easier way to do it than having a fucking burnout. Because <laughs> you don't want a burnout, believe me. I used to think that when athletes talked about burnouts that they just sort of got tired. I didn't know that they fucking burnt out. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's not pleasant. Go and find an athlete and ask. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks, man. It's good. I haven't done much stuff in the States, any for performances or many sort of interviews or anything, so you're one of the first. So this is cool, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on. I think this uh, went pretty well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it was great, man. So, it's cool. Yeah. Stay in touch. So uh, that – yeah, man. And, uh, all right, that does it for this episode of uh, BSing with Sean K. Uh, I should be BSing with more people soon, so uh, stay tuned. <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs>